0: hello is this thing on hello hello (laughs) (laughs) welcome back to restless (laughs) my name is father joseph gill and paul dared me to do that
1: I didn't dare you. <laughs> I said, that's how I Joe did. Rogan begins his podcast.
0: <laughs> I <said it>. So, <laughs> Are we on? <laughs> are we on? Are we on? You've joined us here with Paul, Lauren, and Diane as together we stresslessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. And we're going to have a crazy and mixed up a podcast today because the topic is Stump the Priest. So while I usually ask them the questions, the tables are turned. And now they ask me the questions. So, I'm not really sure what they're going to ask. It could be like, What's your favorite breakfast cereal? Frosted Flakes, in case you're wondering. <laughs> so, all right, I'll start <laughs> so without with. Without further one. ado, go ahead.
2: <laughs> the first question What is the greatest event in human history?
0: Uh, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. No, what? No? Would you say the, the incarnation?
2: Well, yeah, what about the birth? Which is it? Uh, because, Father Joseph, you have definitely said. The birth of Jesus. This is the greatest event in human history. And then we talked about the resurrection. You said the resurrection well, is the greatest event in human history. Could be. You want to get they technical?
0: It would be the incarnations nine months before the birth of Jesus.
2: Oh, there you go. Mm.
0: Because that was okay. the first time that God became man. But it could be tied. It's tied, but except that in the church year, the Easter, Easter is a higher feast than Christmas for sure. You know, fifty days of Easter, only you know, a couple of weeks of yeah. Christmas. Poor Christmas. That's okay. Christmas to me is a little too uh, commercialized. Anyway, you can't commercialize Easter. That's true. Oh, they even tried. Mm. I mean, like bunnies, bunnies and chocolates. I know, but mm-hmm. it's not the same.
2: Okay, good answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
3: wow, they
0: satisfied her pretty easily. <laughs>
3: All right, so we've collected some questions from people in the community. Um, Why do some churches distribute the precious blood at communion when the whole and entire Christ and the true sacrament are received under either species?
0: Yes, that is a doctrine called concomitance, which means that you receive the entire Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under both species, under the species of what looks like bread or what looks like wine. So why do we do it for some churches at both? The reason is because as human beings— The sign value, the symbol value. Now, I don't mean, I I do not mean to say the Eucharist is a symbol. In no way is it a symbol. It's truly the body and blood of Christ. But but we receive Christ under appearances. And it's just easier to imagine blood when you are drinking something versus when you're eating something. So, for our own kind of reception of soul to understand what it is, to have both, it's critical. Now, at the same time, there was in the uh, actually, the, the Protestant, right around the time of the Protestant Reformation, there was a big controversy called the Eutroquist controversy. Eutroquists Eutrequist, were people that said you must receive under both species in order to receive the whole Christ. And in fact, many of the early Protestants were Eutroquists. They said, and so if you go to Lutheran services or you know whatever other services, they will always, almost always, receive under both species in little
1: tiny cups. In little, little tiny t- cups. T- for the, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah it's, but it's usually, it's usually grape juice. Oh a, really? and many I, and many Protestant know. churches, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't know, but okay. uh, yeah.
3: yeah, and I know in Spain, they like dip the host in the precious blood, and yes,
0: they're... that's called intinction,, okay. which is also allowed,
3: okay,
1: although now you all are doing that right now during covid right on the altar, yeah, if yeah, two yeah. If two priests
0: are con celebrating one they will intinct okay. yeah, to avoid sharing the chalice, but but I don't think I, I don't think there's as much of a chance of getting sick from the chalice because it is alcoholic, it's not high enough alcohol, it's like 12, 15%? 12 and 15, something like that. No, that's not enough. No,
1: you need like 40, 80 proof, something like that. Yeah. Oof. Oof. Can't, that would be can't some, use whiskey. No. <laughs> no, that, that's not allowed. <laughs> no. You can't use fortified wine either. You has to be between a certain.
0: What is for, fortified wine? Fortified
1: wine is where they add like um like port or sherry, things like that. that oh. Higher in alcohol. I don't, I, don't think there's why a, a banned.
0: Why would people want to just have more alcohol?
1: Well, it, clearly it, they don't. It's not. a completely different flavor. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah it's, yeah, it's in between like a hard liquor and, and wine.
0: Okay. That's fair.
1: Okay, so now we've covered the um, Licar- sacraments we've got there. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, we did um, every year uh, in, in our city here, we have uh, Stump the Priest Night for our Faith on Tap, which is similar, although not Theology on Tap. Um, right. That's
0: <laughs> a- we're, we're the knockoff brand. <laughs>
1: right. Um, and, uh, and so every year we have, um, every semester, I would say, we have a Stump the Priest Night and there's always a question on free will versus determinism or predestination or something like that so i'm just going to leave that open and what's there's a seeming conflict between the two and how do we resolve that
0: Mm, so if god knows everything that's going to happen how do we have any freedom to choose right yeah that's a great question but knowing something is not the same as as causing it to happen Mm -hmm. i may know that you're going to go home and eat a turkey sandwich maybe because you told me maybe because i know that's the only food in your refrigerator I don't know, but I'm not causing you to do it, right? And so God, who can consider really every, every possibility, every infinite possibility that there could be in the history of humanity, he can consider all of that. And he knows what we're going to choose because of our likelihood, our past, our history, our the grace he's giving us, the grace he's maybe withholding from us, Um, He knows every prayer that's going to be prayed. So he takes all of that into consideration, and therefore he knows with absolute certitude the outcome of every choice we make, but he's not causing us to choose.
1: Do you think there's any merit to, um, at least in the human sense, like determinism? What
0: what, what do you mean? So
1: so determinism would be that, like for example, I could put anchovies and chicken nuggets in front of my niece, and I know with 100% certainty if she had to choose one of them what she would choose. And it's she's so big much
0: anchovy fan, isn't she?
1: She's she's she loves anchovies. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> she likes chicken nuggets. Um, and I know with absolute certainty what she's going to choose. And you could say so much determinism would say that that I know so much what she's going to do that she and she knows what she's going to do. She doesn't even, she doesn't even have the power to make the decision because she will always choose chicken nuggets. Because well, how old is
0: how old is this niece? Ten. Okay, so right so. In human beings, we we are supposed to act based on reason, but most of the time we act on instinct, not reason. That's right. right? That's, that's just right. like a dog, you know. Mm-hmm. So if a dog has a bowl of food in front of it, it's not going to think, "Oh man, I'm on a diet. I'm not supposed to have." That. No, I mean, right. It's just going to eat. In the same way, human beings, though, especially once we get to a certain age, hopefully we start acting more with reason. And there's a chocolate cake in the break room, and there's carrots in the break room, <laughs> and. Because we have reason, we think, well, which one is actually going to lead to a long-term fulfillment? I'm trying to lose five pounds, want to fit into my swimsuit, whatever. I'm going to choose the carrot. So it is possible as a human being to act against instinct, which animals cannot do. So your niece right now may not be able to act against instinct because that's something you have to grow into, mm-hmm. you know, but at a certain point you will. And I definitely know a lot of people that have probably never in their life acted against their instincts. Yeah. You know, yeah they just simply, sure. if I have a drive, I fulfill it.
1: But I think the point there is that's an act of will to do such.
0: It is an act of will. Right. So the determinism that Which you see with will. your niece is yeah. not necessarily the right. determinism that all of us face when we yeah. get older. And determinism
1: isn't always a theological topic, by the way. That's a psychological topic.
0: Interesting. Where people Interesting.
1: don't. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a line of study that people don't actually make their own decisions Yeah. because of their life experience or their biology or whatever but
0: anyway yeah well I'll, I'll give you just a couple of analogies i think is very helpful one is if you're standing in the empire state building you know you're looking down you see kind of the, all the crossroads of manhattan and you see a car going 60 miles an hour on one road and a car going 60 miles an hour on one of the crossroads and they're not slowing down you know exactly what's going to happen you're not causing it to happen you simply see you know the natural consequence of the choices that are going that are already being made by other acting individuals or for example you know. have Used to have like film reels, reels that you know the film would be wrapped up, and Mm. so if you take the film reel and kind of put it on a, a wall or a screen, and you can see the beginning, middle, and end all in one glance, that's what God is doing with human history. He sees beginning, middle, and end all at once, versus us who only see moment by moment as it's unfolding. But still, I do think the interplay is at some level a mystery that we'll never fully comprehend and grasp.
1: It's like the the Leprechaun movie with the about the Trinity.
0: What? you ever seen this? I, no. I remember
1: what it's called. There's a thing where, anyway, never mind, I won't bring that up. Okay. Yeah. Where St. Patrick goes through all the different analogies for the Trinity. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I've seen that.
0: Yeah.
1: Ooh, Trinity. There's lots of questions there. But well, yes, but well, I yeah, 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 Go on, go answers. on. Yeah. Go back to that.
3: Um, so what should a Catholic do if they're invited to a wedding of a Catholic who is choosing not to get married in the Ooh, church?
0: good one. Ooh, excellent one. Excellent one. Um, I think there's a difference between Um, You know, I think two things. First of all, it depends on the relationship. You know, so if this is a sibling, you might have more of an obligation to attend versus a non-sibling. And also how close is the relationship in terms of can you tell them your feelings? Say, you know, I I think you really should get married in the church, whatever. And also what is your role in the wedding? Are you going to be the best man? Are you going to be the maid of honor? Are you going to be just someone sitting in the back pew? You know, so kind of considering all of those, I don't think it's necessarily sinful as long as you have made your uh, voice heard Mm. to this person. And really, I mean, I think, you know, if it's somebody that you're not really close to a coworker at work or something, you could simply just say, you know, I'm just going to attend the reception. Yeah. You know, what if it's like
3: an in-law or something? Mm. It's a little difficult.
0: Then it's difficult. You have to consider, okay, what's going to lead to the possibility for future conversations Mm -hmm. or is this going to completely close off the relationship forever? Mm -hmm. So it is a judgment call. It's not a sin to attend it. But I think we do have a duty to, uh, as best as we can, kind of share our perspective on it in a kind and charitable way.
1: What about um, homosexual ceremonies and receptions and things like that?
0: I think that's that's actually another beast altogether. Because, and a lot of people will e- try to equate the two, but the truth is one is with nature and one goes against nature. Mm-hmm. And one is, you know, it's homosexuality in scripture is one of the sins that cries out to God for for vengeance. Mm-hmm. And nobody likes to say that, you know, because it's not politically correct. But so I would not, yeah, I would not attend either of those Mm. for somebody with the same, who's marrying a same sex partner.
3: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Because at least with the the couple, there's a possibility that that relationship could be sanctified in the church later on. Mm -hmm. There's no option for that for two men or two women. Lauren? Well, I'll
2: just go on that topic. This isn't a question that I've had prepared. But so any thoughts then on how do you try to explain? to someone who maybe was married outside of the church why they should get married in the church
0: Sure yeah so marriage is both a natural reality and a supernatural reality You know it was a natural reality in the fact that God created it in the very beginning and it was just two people a man and a woman and they they got married But then he elevated it to a supernatural reality when Christ came and made it a sacrament. And the supernatural element that's there is twofold. One is it gives you the grace to live out the the sacrament with generosity. So marriage is given to us for two purposes. One is for the procreation and education of children, and the other is for the mutual sanctification of the spouses to get each other to heaven. So it really gives you grace to do both of those things. Can you do both of those things without grace? Well, you can have kids, yes, but can you really form them to become saints? Not really without grace, right? And you can't really sanctify your spouse without grace. So grace is what's necessary. But also, in addition to the grace that it gives you for fulfilling your duties of matrimony, the sacrament, especially for for a Catholic, the sacrament uh, forges a bond. So as Catholics, we are required to be married in the Catholic Church. We can't get married by justice the peace it's not a valid marriage and so because it's not a valid marriage there really is no marital bond there which means that if the couple decided to split up it would actually be a very easy annulment to say that there really wasn't a marriage there to begin with Mm -hmm. so it forms something totally new this this bond this invisible bond between two persons that forms a new reality
1: yeah there are catholic priests that were married as protestants and have become priests
0: yes yes
1: and not married anymore they get divorced
0: and there's some that also stayed. Well, stayed, yeah. Well, the
1: yeah, Episcopalians are, are Orthodox, yeah. Yeah, or I guess Eastern Catholics that are conferred in the Roman rite.
0: But, but here's what's interesting: so only Catholics are obliged to get married in the Catholic Church. If you're not Catholic, if two people are Hindu and getting married, the Catholic Church recognizes that as a valid marriage. It's not a sacramental marriage; it's a natural marriage, but it's a valid marriage. So let's say two Hindus get married in front of their Hindu person. I don't know what's what's they call them. <laughs> What? Hindu religious leader. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever, whatever, you know. whatever Buddha is over there. And they get married in front of this guy. <laughs> mm. No, go probably on. not a Buddha. They get married in front of this guy. Then they get divorced. And then one of the Hindu partners wants to marry a Catholic. That Hindu marriage needs to be annulled. It actually needs to go through a Catholic tribunal to be annulled. Interesting. And you say, well, wait a second. It's not a Catholic marriage. It doesn't matter. It's a natural marriage, and it's a valid marriage. And the church treats every marriage as mm. valid until proven otherwise.
2: Hmm. still on the marriage topic so um, marriage ends in at death correct but the bond that was formed is eternal no okay explain it no that also breaks at death okay all right so i was at a wedding on saturday and the priest definitely talked about this bond for all eternity mm, and i did
0: no question okay so what yeah it meant do you know i don't i'm not sure what he or means maybe I it's mean-
2: like everlasting i mean it has an everlasting impact or does it not? Because you're not
0: married I think that's just... Sen- I think what he said is just sentimentality. Okay. And I'm sure there will be a deep relationship with your spouse in heaven, but it will not be marriage. It'll be a different kind of relationship because the purposes of marriage are no longer
2: But needed. what about the whole part where you are sanctifying your spouse?
0: Sure. When so you're in heaven...
3: You're helping them get to heaven. Right. Yeah. Once you're in so heaven, you don't has need to that. to
2: have an impact in heaven because you need
0: oh, them to doubt. there. Oh, without a doubt.
2: Without a doubt. Once you choose to enter into marriage...
0: Yes, absolutely. But but it's not like if you marry a second time, you get to heaven, you're like, oh, shoot, man, now, now I got to choose. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I mean, well, first, first interesting. First wife is better.
1: Let's dish this it's, it, No, it's no.
2: interesting. I mean, yeah, I think we get that, right? People do die and, and people remarry. But it's interesting when you think about, you know, let's say there was a woman who was married to a man. They worked to get each other to heaven. The man dies. She remarries. Now she's working to get another man to heaven. Sure, and both of those men played a role in getting her to heaven. Mm-hmm. So that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and a unique role certainly, mm. without a doubt, because no one else knows you better than your spouse, really. Hmm. Hopefully, interesting. Hmm. What else you got?
2: All right, I'm going to take a curve here.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. It's your so curve.
2: Lucifer fell with a third of the angels after God revealed His plan that He would become man to redeem humanity. Yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. But why would God have planned to become man to redeem us before the fall of man?
0: Ah, so the theologians uh, debate about this as to whether or not God would have become man if the fall had not happened. And I think it's very possible that God, God could have become man, even if the fall hadn't happened, not to die on a cross, but to show us what perfect humanity looks like.
1: Logos argument.
0: And, oh, and yeah. part of the idea is that, you know, when we're created in the image and likeness of God, we think, okay, well, it's because I have a spirit and I have a free will. Also, though, we're created in the image and likeness of Christ, who is perfect man, divinized, and he's a God and man. And when we have God's grace dwelling in us, we become like Christ, fully human and fully with God in us. We don't become divine. We're not, you know, pantheists, but perhaps God would have taken on flesh to show us what it means to be fully human, fully alive, to be the, the pinnacle of all creation.
2: That's interesting, because once I learned that, I just thought, well, God kind of set into motion then this whole plan, because he would have known that Lucifer would have fell and all the angels, and then that would have brought sin into the world, and then we would have been needed to have been redeemed, you know?
0: I'm going to turn the tables on you. There's a philosopher named Spinoza from the 1800s who said that this is the best of all possible worlds. And you say, wow, this world's messed up. Like, how could this be the best of all possible worlds? He was trying to reconcile God's goodness and the reality of evil. And he said that God had brought greater good out of all the evil that happened in human history than if none of the evil had ever happened in the first place. And we kind of say something like that in our Easter vigil when we say, oh, happy fault, oh, necessary sin of Adam that gained for us so great a redeemer. Do you agree with Spinoza or do you disagree? This is the best of all possible worlds. I would say it
3: Well, now we have eternal life, so.
0: But could God have made it? in a different way where there's less suffering and more glory?
1: Well, yes.
0: I think the answer to that is yes. Could he have? So then why did God not make it like that?
3: Because we have free will.
1: Well, it doesn't mean that... Well, could he have? Yes. But that doesn't mean that it's better than what we have. So so that's Spinoza's argument. Kind of, yeah. Is that... Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Should Should we that... agree with Spinoza? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I would say God is perfect, so... He knew it would happen, so this had to be the perfect plan. And for us as these kind of, I don't want to say insignificant, but like we're so small in comparison to him, and we think our suffering is so great, and that's not to take away from genuine suffering, because people do experience that, but it's only temporary. And as we've all experienced, right, anytime you go through something that's like a struggle, when it finally works out, it's there's so much, like, more relief and pride and an accomplishment because you had to go through those struggles to get there. Right. When something just works like with the snap of your fingers. It's like, oh, well, that was easy. Okay. But you won't appreciate it as much and you won't grow as a person. You won't be challenged. So there's so much depth, I think, to suffering. Mm-hmm. Um. So clearly it's for our good.
0: Yeah. You know? No, I agree. I agree 100%. I think we'll never fully understand till eternity the great good that come, has come out of not only suffering, but temptation
2: oh you just made me think of something else okay so apparently everything we do here right has eternal ramifications right which is really hard to comprehend (laughs) you know like (laughs) every every positive thing which is great but then it's like what about the negative things or maybe it's just there will be missed opportunities yeah. That will re- realize, you know, but I, I just think about that a lot. Like anytime maybe you're merciful to someone or gracious or kind or helpful, there is some eternal aspect to that. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Um, and maybe you could try to explain that a little bit because it's harder. It's hard to kind of understand. But I also then feel like I'm not doing enough, you know? Sure. Like what what else should I be doing? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, I find A funny story about that. So when I was in seminary, the guy across the hall from me, his name was... Uh, Clinton, Clinton Sensat. He's now a priest down in Louisiana. And we were on our, in our first year together. And this guy would come into my room every day because my door was always open. And we'd just sit and chat. And he would complain about everything, the food and the temperature and the professors and this and that. He and just, he could not be happy. He just, he was miserable all day. And maybe, I don't know, maybe he was homesick. He was up in Maryland. It's a long way from Louisiana. And finally, it was one day I was just so fed up with it. I just said, you know what, Clinton? i I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go to the chapel and pray. And he said, "All right, you just go pray for me." And I said, "No, you go pray for yourself." <laughs> and I left. And I was like, later on that day, I was like, "Oh man, I'm just kind of a jerk there. I got to go apologize." So I apologized to him, and everything. We, you know, we got along. So fast forward a few years, he's a deacon now, getting ready to be ordained a priest. And he came up to me and he said, "Hey, I just want to thank you uh, for saving my vocation." I was like, "What are you talking about?" He said, "You remember that time that I told you you told me to go pray for myself?" It's like, yeah, I mean, I was to be a total jerk to you. He said, well, actually, I took that to heart. And like for the first time that day, I went and prayed and really prayed intensely and prayed for myself and prayed to have a relationship with God. And that's what kept me in seminary and kept me drawn closer to the Lord. So thank you for that. You willed the good. I, well, I was, yeah. So I was like, my resolution is now I'm going to be a jerk to everyone. God <laughs> oh, okay, it. Well, yeah. But no, but, <laughs> but those are the kind of stories we're going to hear in eternity about the things that we say and do that we think are small, minute. Even sometimes the negative things like that example of me actually probably committing a sin in my hardness of heart towards him that God turned into something tremendous and good.
3: And we believe that's the reality, too, that we believe that we are the body of Christ. So everything that we do has sort of an impact on other people and, you know, just that reality itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think you're, I think in that situation, I think your delivery might have been off. Potentially. <laughs> no, that's but, what that guy needed. But, but that's what it he was he needed, what he needed. Apparently, right? so, I, mean, you know, I
0: didn't know at the time, but yeah. <laughs> Can I ask a question?
1: Please, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. So, how would you respond? So, there, I'll give three examples first. So, you have um, closed off communities, religious communities. Not just Catholics. Like so you have like. Cloistered, you mean? No, no. Uh, you'll see. Like Hasidic okay. Jews Sorry. in Brooklyn. You okay. have the Amish or Mennonites in Pennsylvania, or wherever, Florida, big population. And then you have the SSPX town that has been set up in oh, Kansas I've called St. Mary's, Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the name of the town is actually St. Mary's. It used to be a mission or, uh, I think, or something like monastery or something. And anyway, and now it's become like an SSPX town. Town, like almost everybody in the town, belongs to the Society of Saint Pius X, which is in part of the Church that's in undefined canonical status. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes. So, how would you how would you advise people that want to be more closed off to the world to potentially protect themselves and their families versus living in the world to evangelize and mm. to, you know, create saints or to help a good
0: friend of mine is a guy by the name of ryan young who started a catholic summer camp called camp veritas Yeah, and great guy and he's got uh i think eight kids now and i asked him one time because he sent his kids to public school in high school and i said what was you know why did you do that why why not the local catholic school he said he said his rule was very simple he said i will send my kids to a public school and we'll see after the first month who's changing who He said that's that's the deal who's changing who are you changing the school or is the school changing you and he said The first moment I see that the school's changing you, I'm pulling you. So that's, I think, the key is some people are called to live in the world as long as they're changing the world and the world's not changing them, you know. And I do think that some people perhaps are not as strong yet in their faith, and that's why we need protective places like good schools and good small communities to kind of help build that faith until it gets strong enough where you can withstand some of the onslaught that the world is going to throw at you. But uh, ultimately, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever read The Benedict Option. No. I highly recommend that book, Benedict Option, because it talks about how St. Benedict kind of faced something similar in the early church. St. Benedict was living in a time when the Roman Empire was falling, and part of that Roman Empire falling was the great moral decay. You know, Rome was just a cesspool of lust and greed and every sort of vice known to man. And so he said, well, what? how are we going to save civilization? And his way of saving civilization was by going and forming a monastery, going to Subiaco in Italy, forming the first monastery and saying, Look, the way we're going to save civilization is by us making a small community that's going to preserve all that is good true and beautiful so that when everything else falls we'll still be here and people can be drawn to us and that's exactly what happened through the benedictine really the monasticism saved europe because of those monks we're very much in a similar situation in our our culture i think where the world is full of full of lust and greed and every sort of vice known to man so we need these small Catholic communities, such as good schools and good parishes and, and maybe even intentional communities. But also that's just like the monasteries were not, okay, no one else is welcome to come. What we're meant to do is be a light to the nations, where people, when they're fed up with everything they see in, mm-hmm. on CNN, hey, say, hey, I've heard about this community. I've heard about this school. I want to be a part of it. And they can be drawn into the mission. So it's a both and. And we started here um, a new Catholic school about three years ago called Cardinal Kung Academy, which is actually the building in which we're recording right now. And one of the things I keep talking to the principal about is the necessity to make sure that we have a majority of disciples in the school. Because it's good to welcome new members, but we have to make sure these new members are not going to change the school.
1: Which has happened a lot in Catholic schools. Oh,
0: tremendously. When I was at Trinity High School, no offense to Trinity, who just recently shut down, that was the biggest issue was that there was maybe 5% of kids who were disciples, you know? So so they felt embarrassed to live out their faith in a Catholic school.
1: I remember you told me the story about like the uh, asking um, some of the boys to be altar boys for you at mass. Yeah. And they would say no. They
0: serve in their own parish, but they would yeah. never serve at school because that wasn't the cool thing to do. And they'd be mocked in the hallways for being altar boys. So you need, you need the critical mass of disciples in order for others to be drawn in. And so, I think something like St. Mary's, Kansas is probably a little too closed off, you know, and not open to the communication with the world as if they believe that the rest of the world is evil. Mm-hmm. But there are many people who are seeking the truth, beauty, and goodness that, right. that they can offer.
1: So maybe a balance would be, well, I'm going to live in the world so much as I have a career and, you know, working, working in the real world. And, you know, maybe my kids have exposure to that through their neighborhood friends, but we're going to do Catholic school or homeschooling. And you get enough exposure to the world just by living in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But as a parent, that's the big question, is who's changing who? So yes, that's little Johnny point. little Johnny can go play with the friends down the street. But if he comes picking up bad language, if he comes you know, looking at bad things on his friend's iPhone because they're in third grade and they all have one, then you say, you know what? That's starting to change you. And so that needs to be that's taken mean. out of your life. Well, we've run out of time, but we will definitely do another episode of this in the future. So stay tuned to future Restless episodes, which you can find on Veritas Catholic Radio, 1350 AM. Also on Google Play and Apple Play and Spotify Play. I don't even know what these pod places are.
2: Any app you may have.
0: Any app you may have. Yes, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instapost. There's no Twitter. No Twitter? Oh, we don't have Twitter? At
2: Restless Catholic Media. At Restless Catholic Media. Facebook.
0: I have no idea what uh, what social media is out there. I'm stumped. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us on Stump the Priest. Tune in next time.